If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 25th, 2020. The podcast that makes calamity of so long life. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's epoxidize the news of the bogus. So once again, we have a story about the fears of COVID-19 being completely overblown. People have been hitting the panic button about ending the lockdown and sending children back to school, saying it would start the whole epidemic up again. And let's be honest, you can see their point. Schools, especially elementary schools, are basically germ warfare camps that would otherwise have been banned by the Geneva Convention. And a lot of these reopenings are in places where cases are high, such as Georgia, Indiana, and Florida. Press outlets such as the New York Times spun tales of dozens of infected kids going back to school and causing the infections to spread back out to the community at large, fear-mongering that caused the cancellation of school reopenings elsewhere. But in October, we started getting good information about the effects these reopenings were having, and so far, at least, it isn't causing any major spread of COVID-19. Data from over 200,000 kids in 47 states reveal an infection rate of 0.13% among students and 0.24% among staff. Even in high-risk areas of the country, student rates are well under half a percent. For the week ending October 11, only 3.1% of schools had 5 or more cases and only 0.7% had 10 or more. Separately, Texas reported a rate of 0.14% for students and 0.1% for staff. Additionally, the available data don't show any big community spikes as a result of school openings, and in the case of Georgia, they've even continued to decline. It's also good to reverse the inequalities the lockdown caused. Low-income students of color were far more adversely affected by school closures than the average student. So this has ended up being just another case where a bunch of Dunning-Krugerites flouted their pro-science dances when they just hadn't bothered to look at the data, instead blindly accepting what they're being told by unscientific politicians and news pundits, the exact opposite of what good scientists always say to do. The question is, are we going to keep listening to them? If you're looking for ways to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand advertisements, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to listen to the podcast and all of my videos on bittube.tv or lbry.tv to get cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. Or if you listen to the podcast at the podcast page, you'll also generate crypto. You can also go to airtime.bogosity.tv to get the airtime extension and generate crypto for yourself and the creators on the web anywhere you go, including my YouTube channel. Get five tubes free just for installing the extension and signing up, and then simply browse the web as normal. Easily monetize your favorite creators and yourself with cryptocurrency without advertising on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv or with the Airtime extension at Airtime.Pagosity.tv. We 
We've seen basic liberties undermined in the crusade against online pirates for well over two decades now. The Supreme Court is about to be given another chance to try and do the right thing. The Russian owner of two YouTube ripping sites has petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to take up his case to avoid a dangerous legal precedent over jurisdiction. The owner, Tofig Kurbanov, was taken to court by a group of music companies who accused him of facilitating mass copyright infringement. In other words, his site let people save YouTube videos to their hard drives. And we've seen this sort of thing before where Canada or Europe passes a bunch of laws that they demand that everyone else in the world follow just because they have websites accessible in those countries over the internet. The music companies didn't get the quick win they were hoping for. In fact, even before the copyright issues were even brought up, the case was dismissed because they were trying to sue a Russian in the United States. Since the Russian didn't purposefully target or interact with U.S. users, they were suing in the wrong jurisdiction. So the music companies appealed to federal court where, as we've seen so often in the past, they have the fix in. The appeals court basically found that they did conduct business in the U.S. because their websites were accessible from the U.S. just as they were from anywhere else in the world, just like pretty much all websites. So Kurbanov has filed a petition for writ of certiorari asking the Supreme Court to decide whether or not he's subject to U.S. jurisdiction just because his websites are accessible from there, whether his due process rights were violated, and whether minor civil offenses over the Internet are enough to warrant jurisdiction. The Supreme Court prefers to take cases where there's contrasting precedents among district courts, and there seems to be that in spades here. Lower courts have continually split on whether or not a website being accessible in the U.S. means they're subject to U.S. law or whether they're actually sensible. In particular, the 4th, 5th, 8th, and 9th circuits hold that U.S. agents have jurisdiction in contrast with the 7th and 10th circuits who have sensibly held that they don't even when the website appoints a DMCA agent to deal with infringing complaints. The Fourth Circuit also found that since the websites fail to geoblock U.S. visitors, jurisdiction is warranted. That's a very dangerous conclusion because it requires positive action to be taken to avoid jurisdiction and could open up worldwide issues. China could say that websites everywhere are subject to their rules if the site fails to block Chinese visitors. According to the petition, quote, if allowed to stand, it will subject website operators to personal jurisdiction in every location where their website is accessible, regardless of whether the defendant has expressly aimed his conduct at the forum or otherwise has the constitutionally required minimum contacts. One of Kurbanov's attorneys, Evan Frey Witzer, said, quote, If you operate a website that is popular, then you're subject to jurisdiction anywhere and everywhere that people access the website. And that's not a precedent that anyone should want to stand, because if Kurbanov can be dragged into court here from Russia, then any U.S. citizen who creates a popular website can expect to be dragged into court anywhere in the world. If the record companies are so certain that the Fourth Circuit got this question right, then they should be anxious for the Supreme Court to take up the case. We invite them to join our petition and ask the Supreme Court to weigh in on these crucial jurisdictional questions. But I'm not holding my breath that they'll do so. And moreover, since Kurbanov is Russian, what if Russia starts doing it to U.S. websites? If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? 
For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. God, I'm really getting tired of having to continually cover this, but the U.S. Department of Justice is once again trying to break encryption in the wake of increased end-to-end encryption as a result of people communicating remotely more often during the COVID-19 pandemic. They've put out a press release co-signed by governments of the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Canada, India, and Japan, saying that end-to-end encryption is a threat to public safety. Reasons given are, think of the children, and we can't just do nothing. After starting off by claiming they support strong encryption, they went on in their entire press release to completely undermine that claim by insisting that encryption be weakened so they can intrude on it when they need to. I'll reiterate what Bruce Schneier wrote in his Applied Cryptography textbook. There are two kinds of cryptography in this world. Cryptography that will stop your kid sister from reading your files, and cryptography that will stop major governments from reading your files. So, as we've pointed out on this podcast over and over again, anything government does to allow them to read your data automatically puts our encryption into the kid sister category. The whole press release reads like George Orwell's worst nightmare. Allowing government to spy on our encrypted communications is embedding the safety of the public and system designs. Weakening encryption is safeguarding the vulnerable. And end-to-end encryption is creating severe risks to public safety. A company implementing end-to-end encryption is severely undermining a company's own ability to identify and respond to violations of their terms of service. Hey, Sunshine, why don't you let them worry about their own terms of service? And they claim it stops the law from accessing content where there is lawful authority to do so. They fail to state that what they want allows them to access content even when there isn't lawful authority to do so. Now, they don't want to weaken encryption and put in backdoors. They just want tech companies to, quote, include mechanisms in the design of their encrypted products and services whereby governments acting with appropriate legal authority can gain access to data in a readable and usable format. Oh, wait a minute! That is weakening encryption and putting in backdoors! They say, quote, Measures to increase privacy, including end-to-end encryption, should not come at the expense of children's safety. But what do they think will happen when weak encryption allows bad actors to access communications involving children? A kid takes a bath while playing on their waterproof smartphone? You do not want some scumbag hacking in and accessing the camera. And that's just one of a whole raft of hypothetical cases we'll face with the Internet of Insecure Things. And they're casting the net wide. Quote, 
That commitment applies across the range of encrypted services available, including device encryption, custom encrypted applications, and encryption across integrated platforms. So they're calling for a world where criminals can trivially hijack financial transactions, hostile nation states can eavesdrop on our people, and our businesses are vulnerable to corporate espionage. Without strong encryption, all of the technology we've come to rely on, including e-commerce and teleconferencing, would be life-alteringly dangerous. Making it so government can catch criminals makes it so anyone can prey on everyone. By the way, the crooks and criminals would still be able to employ end-to-end encryption in everything they use since, being crooks and criminals, they won't have any qualms about using illegal software which government has no way of stopping. The source code is out there, and it's never going away, so this will only affect the law-abiding. But they claim, quote, We challenge the assertion that public safety cannot be protected without compromising privacy or cybersecurity. Well, you can challenge 2 plus 2 being 4 all you want. It's still true. Encryption is math. You can't make it work differently just by wishing. There's a lot of language about meeting in the middle, but there is no middle between 2 plus 2 being 4 or 5. You can't just meet in the middle and say, okay, it's 4 and a half. It's 4. It's always 4, it always will be 4, and there's no changing it. If you understand that, you understand that what they're asking for is, at best, impossible, at worst, the most dangerous online threat we've ever faced. Oh, but government knows best, quote, We strongly believe that approaches protecting each of these important values are possible and strive to work with industry to collaborate on mutually agreeable solutions. Yeah, we just need to get the nerds to nerd harder. We'll get them to put in something that only we know about, which means it'll be security through obscurity, which is no security at all. Because as soon as a single bad guy discovers what that secret something is, it's all over. Want a banking crisis worse than the 2008 crisis or even the Great Depression? Enable financial crime on a larger-than-ever scale by doing this. Want to kill telecommuting? which we've just experienced the huge necessity for? No better way. Want children put in greater danger of cyber-stalking? This'll do it. Sorry, but this isn't even a slippery slope. It's a sheer cliff face. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. 
Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to exteriorize this week's biggest bogun emitter. And this week it goes to Joe Biden. Not the first time, probably won't be the last, especially not if he gets elected president. This one is about his big economics fail. And I'm not even talking about his huge zinger in the recent debate when he said there was no evidence that minimum wage destroyed small business. I've got a whole playlist of information showing it does, by the way. No, this is about his economic policies, which according to a new study from Stanford University will cost 4.9 million jobs by 2030. Start with this promise that, quote, Nobody making under 400000 bucks would have their taxes raised, period, bingo. Of course, he is promising to repeal Trump's tax cuts, which did cut taxes on people making less than 400000 so that's a lie already, but let's assume otherwise. So that would freeze revenues at that level. Then he proposes to raise both the corporate tax rate as well as taxes on high-income earners. Anyone familiar with the Laffer Curve knows the problem with that. That will cause revenues to fall. The U.S.'s high corporate tax rate of 35%, one of the highest in the world, caused a lot of businesses to pack up and move overseas. When the rate was cut to 21% in 2017, still above the average European rate of 20.27% and just under Sweden's 22%, those businesses came back and new businesses formed, and corporate tax revenues actually went up as a result. As for high-income earners, we can also learn from history. Back when the top marginal tax rate was 70% in the 60s and 70s, even after dropping from 91% during the 50s, basically nobody made enough to pay that. Executives, instead of taking high salaries, lived in corporate apartments, drove corporate cars, or more likely were driven by a chauffeur, and flew places in corporate jets. Those and many more benefits were given in the place of higher incomes, keeping them out of the higher tax brackets. When those were dropped in the 80s, that pretty much stopped happening. People would rather live in a place of their choosing, probably much cheaper, and pocket the rest. They'd rather drive a Honda or whatever and save the rest of the money. They'd rather buy a plane ticket and have the rest as their income. So getting all of that as income made it money they could spend on other things as they liked or could save for their children or for retirement. Which means that the tax rate dropping caused revenues to increase. Biden's plan will eliminate that increase. Which means he'll have less money for government as it exists today. Much less for the government he wants, which includes subsidies for so-called renewable energy and his big healthcare insurance cronyism, forcing people to buy expensive, high-quality insurance and keeping up Obama's policy of basically banning low-cost policies. Using CBO projections as the baseline, the researchers estimate that over the next decade, this would cause the loss of 4.9 million jobs and a $2.6 trillion increase in GDP. In 2030, median household income would be $6,500 less than it otherwise would. Full-time equivalent employment per person would be reduced by 3%, according to the researchers, the capital stock per person by 15%, real GDP per capita by over 8%, and real consumption per household by 7%. They wrote, 
The projections are conservative in terms of the sensitivity of wages and average productivity to the after-tax share of capital income, our treatment of business and labor regulation as redistributive versus resource using, and the ambitions of Biden's agendas for health insurance, energy, and climate. So in all probability, a full implementation of Biden's proposal would be worse than what they project. So all of that gives Joe Biden yet another biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's signify this week's... Idiot And it's actually the first one, believe it or not, for the Department of Homeland Security, although they did take Biggest Bogan Emitter twice before. But this time, we have their completely stupid list of words to look out for, which means the person sending the communication, the email or whatever, might be a terrorist. The DHS has been forced to release under FOIA a list of keywords and phrases it uses and has at least as far back as 2011 to monitor social networking and online media for signs of terrorists or other threats against the U.S. It makes sense that they look for words like attack, al-Qaeda, and dirty bomb, but they also look for words like pork, team, cloud, and Mexico. The FOIA request was made following a House hearing over other documents which revealed government monitoring social media for comments that reflect adversely on the government. This podcast is so screwed. The FOIA request was filed by the Electronic Privacy Information Center, who, of course, had to sue to ultimately get it. So what alerts them? Well, don't let anyone know about a power outage or even a brownout. Being in a crash or even just out of gas, can also be a problem. Snow, hail, ice, blizzard, and sleet can get you flagged, especially if you text someone to let you know that you're stranded or stuck. And this podcast is really, seriously, and totally screwed, since words include cybersecurity, illegal immigrants, telecommunications, nuclear power, DDoS, law enforcement, vaccine, worm, World Health Organization, and social media. I mean, I figured we'd be on their list just for more sophisticated reasons. In fact, we just made it again because on the list is Homeland Security itself. And who knows what happens if they do speech-to-text and detect me reading off all these words. 
There's no way this policy avoids grabbing unimaginable amounts of speech protected by the First Amendment and completely irrelevant to what the DHS claims their mission to be. The agency even admitted to Huffington Post that the language was vague and needed to be updated. But it's also nice to know that terrorists can completely slip under their radars by talking like Russian spies in Cold War era movies. So, DHS, if you're listening, just know that, although these words aren't on your list somehow, you're still well-deserving of being named this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this Tell Me Another Gang in New York That's Got a Dental Plan edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please keep this podcast going by subscribing and supporting in one of several different ways you can find at donate.bogosity.tv, including PayPal, cryptocurrency, or subscribing at Patreon or Subscribestar to listen early and ad-free. Also, please come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. Thank you for listening. Next Saturday is the fifth Saturday in the month, so no podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, here's a quote from Louis Brandeis. Fear of serious injury cannot alone justify suppression of free speech and assembly. Men feared witches and burnt women. It is the function of speech to free men from the bondage of irrational fears. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins.